So before we get into the message today, I, I just want to um, spend a, a minute um, praying for a group. Um, yesterday at 6.45 a.m., that's a Saturday at 6.45 a.m. when no one should be awake, um, a group of uh, high school students and leaders from here uh, got into a couple of vehicles and headed off to uh, Tennessee to spend a week uh, with about a thousand other high school um, students and leaders um, where this particular week has just been transformational lives of so many, not just students, but adults as well. And so I just want to pray for this group uh, this morning. Many of you have supported them in prayer and financially by buying the shirts and, and even buying some baked goods that we sold. And, and maybe you even given, have given some money to those who couldn't afford to go on the trip. So I just want to lift them up right now. If you would just join me in praying for them uh, before we start, that'd be awesome. Father, I'm just so grateful for the opportunity that this group of students and adults, not just from, from South Point, Father, but from across uh, this country are joining together. And uh, God, I just ask that you would work and move in their lives, um, Father, that you would speak to them, uh, Father, that you would unify them, that you would draw them closer to you and one another, um, Father, and that you would work as only you can. And it's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Uh, if you are joining us for the first time here this morning, um, I'm just so glad that you're here. We have been spending this entire year going through this book in the Bible called Acts, which really, in a nutshell, is the origin story of the church. Um, it's basically how the church started and really why we're here today. And our hope and prayer for this series has been that this would not just be a simple Bible study or it would be a history lesson, but that this would actually become transformational for us, that we would be inspired to see how the Holy Spirit has worked to bring the church to where it is today. And, and where we are, we see that, and where we've been so far is we see that, that basically Jesus, after his death and his resurrection, he entrusts this message, this good news, the gospel of what he has come and what he has done in his sacrifice for us, that, that we have this incredible hope that, of this reconciliation, that he, he entrusts this message with this very small group of men and women. And he, and he gives them basically a mission, and he gives them a promise. The mission that he gives them is for they, he wants them to share this good news with everyone. Wherever they go, wherever they find themselves, he wants them to share this message with everyone. And he gives them the promise that they won't be alone when they do that. That he's going to be with them in the person of the Holy Spirit. And Acts is, in essence, this mission and this promise coming to life. You see, the Holy Spirit, we see him working and moving through ordinary people, sharing the good news of what Jesus has done. And people are believing in and they're following Jesus and they're being transformed by the Holy Spirit to be more like him. And even when serious opposition arises against this, this young new group of Jesus followers, it doesn't deter them, it doesn't stop them. In fact, what it does is it just causes this to spread, and it just continues to spread, and thousands of people are joining this growing movement. It is becoming unstoppable. And in the last couple of weeks, what we have seen is that even though it started out just exclusively, it seemed just for the Jewish people 
we saw that, that really God's intention and plan was for everyone to experience this good news. And so we saw that this expanded beyond the Jewish people to the Gentiles, which is just basically anybody who's not a Jew, which is everybody. And, and this is where we pick up the story this morning. And we're going to be in Acts chapter 11, and we're going to start in verse 19. And it's on page 66 of the Acts journal. If you've got those with you, or if you don't have one and you... You would like one, there's one in the seat um, in front of you, you're welcome to take that, just keep that, you can keep notes in it or just, just take it with you and have that as our gift to you. And, and this is what it says in Acts chapter, 19, or Acts chapter 11 verse 19, it says, now those who were scattered because of the persecution that arose over Stephen traveled as far as Phoenicia and Cyprus and Antioch, speaking the word to no one except Jews. So what we see here in this first sentence or this first verse, is as we had seen a few weeks ago, Stephen was stoned to death. And then right after Stephen's stoning, the, the, uh, the, the Jewish leaders, they, they empowered this man named Saul to go house to house and imprison and kill other Jesus followers. And the effect of this was that the followers of Jesus just were scattered outside of Jerusalem. They fled Jerusalem. And they went everywhere. And, and, and this is what this verse is telling us, that they went everywhere, and not, they just didn't go everywhere to hide, they went everywhere to continue to tell people about what Jesus had done. They kept on spreading this good news of the gospel everywhere they went, and even beyond the boundaries of Judea, which is where Phoenicia and Cyprus and Antioch are. They're outside of Judea. But it's still, in this, it's still exclusively to the Jewish people at this point. But this is going to change. Acts 11, verse 20. But there were some of them, men of Cyprus and Cyrene, again, these are men from places outside of Jerusalem or Judea, who on coming to Antioch spoke to the Hellenists also, preaching the, good, the Lord Jesus. And so this word Hellenist refers not just to like Greeks that had converted into Judaism, but these were just Greeks. I mean, these were Gentiles. And so we see these non-Jewish, these Gentiles now hearing this good news of what Jesus has done. And this is just a continuation of what we had just seen happen with Peter the past few weeks that the gospel is now being shared with everyone. And so why did this happen? Like, why is this good news now being spread in this town, the city, which is a huge city, the third largest city in the Roman Empire, why is it now being shared with the empire, with the Gentiles? Well, the next verse tells us why, and this is found in verse 21, and the hand of the Lord was with them, and a great number who believed turned to the Lord. You see, when it says the hand of the Lord was with them, the Holy Spirit is directing these men to speak and is speaking through these men to this group of Hellenists, to this group of Gentiles. And, and they are being connected with the Spirit and the Spirit is leading them and speaking through them. You know, Jesus speaking to his followers on the night that he would be betrayed he used this illustration to describe 
what our connectedness and what our relationship is with them. And he uses this illustration of a vine and a branch and branches. And he says this in John chapter 15, verses 47. He tells us this. He says, Abide in me, and, and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I'm sorry, unless it abides in the vine. Neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine and you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. And we see this being lived out over and over and over again in the book of Acts. That, that this idea of abiding in Jesus and Jesus abiding in us is the presence of his Holy Spirit in us. And, and what he's saying, in other words, is everything you do, everything that you and I do must be out of our relationship with him. It's the only way to see the fruit of the kingdom of God come out of our lives and here's the thing if we try to do this on our own if we just have this kind of like you know what I've got this I'll just take care of this myself you know I I can handle this or or look what look what I plan to do without like his involvement it's destined to fail or it's certainly not going to last and and if I was honest with you this morning I I can't tell you how many times I've done that. How many times I've had that kind of like that, I've got this, I don't really need anything, I don't really need your help. And let me just tell you, it never ends well. Last week, Dustin encouraged us to write our story down, like our story of what God has done for us. For those of, of, of us who said yes to Jesus, to experience Jesus in life. He just encourages us to write our story down. And then to pray for God to give us somebody to share that story with, and then to share that story with whoever God has laid on our heart. And maybe you've not yet done that because, you know, maybe you just haven't had time to do it, or maybe you're a little bit afraid to do it. Or maybe you think that somebody will reject you, or you will offend somebody if you share your story with somebody. And that may be true. But, but let me just say this, if we try to do this on our own, then it, it, it probably won't go well. But if we realize that, that it's the Holy Spirit in us that allows us, that gives us the opportunity to be able to share that it's Him speaking through us, that changes everything. Acts chapter 11, verses 22 through 24 the report of this, the report of the fact that these men, these unnamed men from Cyrene and Cyprus decided, again, through the Holy Spirit, that they were going to share the news to the Gentiles, and the Gentiles respond. The report of this came to the ears of the church of Jerusalem, and they sent Barnabas to Antioch. And when he came, he saw the grace of God, and he was glad. And he exhorted them. All to remain faithful in the Lord with steadfast purpose, for he was a good man. Why was he a good man? This is why Barnabas was a good man. Because he was full of the Holy Spirit and faith. And a great number of people were added to the Lord. I love the phrase that Luke uses to describe what 
what um, Barnabas saw. Did you catch it? He didn't say, well, I saw this really large number of people. I, see, I saw the Gentiles like coming. He saw the grace of God. Saw the grace of God. And I think that this is a reminder, not just of this amazing gift that God has given us. It's nothing that we do to earn this gift. There's nothing that we do to certainly not anything that we've done to deserve this gift, but just simply his grace that he's allowed us to have this opportunity to have a restored relationship with him through what Jesus has done on the cross. And as is beautiful, but I think what this is more talking about is that it's an image in reference to the fact that in this city, in Antioch, for the first time, you have two groups of people. You have Jews and Gentiles who never had been able to be together because for the Jews to associate with the Gentiles, that was forbidden by their laws. Like they were supposed to be set apart to the, to the standpoint they couldn't even socialize or interact with Gentiles. And the Gentiles, knowing this, certainly didn't want anything to do with the Jews. And for the first time, you see these two groups of people who historically have never been able to be together, all of a sudden they're worshiping together. Like that's the grace of God. This is remarkable and this is impossible without the good news of Jesus and the amazing grace of God. And and I think it's also some of what we see and experience here at South Point. We witness the grace of God in this community as well. We, we see people experiencing true freedom that can only be found in Jesus. We see broken relationships being restored. We see God's transforming power taking place in our lives to make us more like Jesus. And most of all, we see people who would normally not connect with one another have relationship with one another. All kinds of different views and perspectives are represented in these seats every morning. We have different backgrounds and upbringings. We have different life experiences. We come from different socioeconomic places. We have different levels of education. And we all come together because of the grace of God. And it's only because of the grace of God. And it goes on, verses 25 and 26. So Barnabas went to Tarsus to look for Saul. You remember him. He's the guy that was like wrecking the church and then God showed up to him and this radical transformation and now he's like the spokesperson. He's like the number one enemy of the Jewish leaders and he's just, he becomes like this amazing like radical witness for Jesus so Barnabas goes to look for him. And when he found him, he brought him to Antioch. For a whole year, they met with the church and taught a great many people. And in Antioch, the disciples were first called Christians. There are a couple of reasons why I think the Holy Spirit directs Barnabas to go get Saul. The first is, there's something big that, that God, that the Holy Spirit is doing in Antioch, and it's going to take more than just Barnabas to make it happen, right? So he goes and he finds Saul to come alongside him in this. And the second reason, and you'll see this in the days to come, in the weeks to come, the Spirit is actually positioning Saul where he's going to begin to use Saul in a much different way, where Saul will become the greatest missionary probably that's ever lived. To spread the gospel, the good news of what Jesus has done to basically the entire world. So 
what do they do when they get to Antioch? They make disciples. They spend time teaching people, pouring into people, making more followers of Jesus. And this was having such an impact on the city that this group of Jesus followers gets a new name. And before this, they were simply just followers. Some people called them followers of the way because they always talked about the way. Or they were disciples of Jesus or followers of Jesus. And some people didn't even know how to like categorize them. And so they were just kind of seen as this weird sect of Judaism. Like, they're all Jewish people. They have these weird beliefs about this dude named Jesus. We're not really sure how to categorize them. So it's just part of this whole Jewish culture thing. But because of what happens with Cornelius and because of what happens now in Antioch, this label doesn't seem to fit anymore because now you have Gentiles and Jews together. What do you do with this? Also notice that this is not something they call themselves. Like, they don't give themselves this name. They're called this by people around them that are observing them. They're like, that. what do, what do we call, what, we'll call them Christians? And, and what does this word mean? Like, the word Christ in the Greek means anointed one. And the, the little, the, it's two words. So it's, it's Christ and then that ending thing. I don't even know how you say that. And, I, and. Means little. So, so really, the name means little anointed ones. You know, there was something about this group that was different, that stood out. They lived differently than they did before Jesus. They acted differently than before Jesus. They selfless, selfless, selflessly loved people and cared for one another. They put others first. They, 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 they loved the, the marginalized of the society, which in that day would have been the widows and the orphans. Their lives were centered around this person named Jesus, and they couldn't stop talking about him, sharing their stories of transformation. And the transformation that had been taking place in their life because of their decision to accept and follow Jesus was evident and obvious. They were different. They reflected the love of Jesus and who he was so well. And their identity had changed. The labels of Jew and Greek no longer described or defined them. Their heritage or their lineage no longer described or defined them. Their sin and their failure no longer described or defined them. Their geography no longer described or defined them. They are now defined and identified by the one that they love and follow. Because of Jesus and the work of his spirit in them, their identity had become indistinguishable from them. They were identified by a person and not a religion. And the same is true for us today. When we say yes to Jesus and accept him as our Savior and our Lord, there is so much more than this promise and hope of, of, of a life after this life. There is a new life that starts the moment that we accept him. This new life happens because we are reconciled in our relationship with God, the author and sustainer of life, and he puts his Holy Spirit in us to refine us, to make us more like Jesus. And he gives us this new identity 
We are the children of the King of Kings and the, ch the child of the Lord of Lords and the creator and master of the universe, the most high God. We are his children. And maybe you're hearing this for the first time or, or maybe you've heard this before and it just never really like connected or, or maybe your view on what it means to be a Christian has been distorted by bad behavior or false teaching of someone else. I don't know, you know what that word means to you this morning. And in many ways, I think today especially, we have lost what it means to be a Christian. It has either become synonymous with things that are not what Jesus intended for those who follow him, or it's become so diluted, it doesn't really describe anything at all other than a religious preference. This last week, I listened to a recent message by a guy that I listened to from time to time. His name's Louis Giglio. And he gave one of the best definitions of Christian I've ever heard. He said this, to be a Christian means to wholeheartedly and exclusively trust in the person and claims of Jesus Christ. Activating a new birth that results in a lifestyle that mirrors Jesus' values, teaching, and ways so that others may see and know him. So I want to I break this down for us this morning a little bit. So let's look at this first part to wholeheartedly and exclusively trust the person and claims of Jesus Christ. This is an all-in kind of trust. This isn't like, hey, I'm just going to go up to the pool and I'm going to stick my toe in the water and see if it's warm enough for me to jump in. No, this is like diving in the deep end. That kind of trust. This is, this is the kind of trust that just says, you know what? I'm just going to let go of control. I can trust you. Like, I trust you with my entire life. You, what we don't realize when we think that we have control, that's an illusion, right? You and I, we don't have control of anything. We just think we do. It just, what we're doing is we're just acknowledging what's true, that he's already in control, and we can trust him because he is good. It's complete surrender and submission. Boy, there's a word that we love, isn't it? Let's talk about being submissive. And we hate the word submissive, right? Because when we, but when we say yes to Jesus, we submit our lives to him as our Lord. And it's not just this wholehearted idea. It's also exclusive. Like, it's exclusive and Jesus is the only way to the Father. It. it it isn't like belief in Jesus just to kind of cover my bets and then I can believe in all these other things. It's like, it's, it's all in on Jesus. I mean, he says it himself in John 14, 5. I mean, I, he says, I am, I am the way, speaking of himself. Like, I am the way, I am the truth and the life. And, and he doubles down on this just in case you don't get it. No one comes to the Father except through me. That's what he says. Jesus doesn't, doesn't leave room for other ways to restore relationship with God. He just doesn't. It's exclusive. And, and, then he goes, and then this definition goes on to say activating a new birth. 
You, you see, when we say yes to Jesus, we become like this new creation. Like, like the old self is, is die, has is, is died. Like we, we're becoming this new creation. And, and this is what the Holy Spirit does in us. Like this is what, this is one of the purposes and roles is, is bringing this new self to life. Paul describes it like this in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 4 and 5. He says, but God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ by grace you have been saved. In other words, we, you know, it, here's where we get it wrong. And Dustin said this, I, I don't know, a long time ago, but, but this is true. Oftentimes we believe that like Jesus came to make bad people good. No, no, he didn't make to make bad people good. We're, we're all bad. Let's just, let's just say, that, say that right up front. But we're worse than bad. We're dead. He came to make dead people alive. Like that's why he came. And this new birth, he goes on, this new birth results in a lifestyle that mirrors Jesus' values, his teaching, and his ways. That, that's the transforming work of the Holy Spirit. We use this fancy word, sanctification, for this. But really, it just the, that just basically means that as we submit our desires and our wills to him, like the Spirit continues just to make us more like Jesus. Matthew, and Jesus told his disciples in Matthew 16, verse 24, he said, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross and follow me. And listen to this. I think this is so important for us to understand because we, we tend to like, start to bristle at this a little bit. It's like, well, I, I, I kind of want to do my own thing. I want to still have fun. You know, this, this notion or idea that like, being a Jesus follower isn't fun. And, and hear this too, it's not because like, God wants to have like, ultimate control of your life. No. He wants you to experience life like he's designed it. That's why he says, I come to give you abundant life. Like, I want you to experience life like I designed it. That's why I want you to follow the example that Jesus has set. Like, he came to show us the way that we're supposed to experience this abundant life. And our part in this life is not to try harder, but to continually surrender to what the Spirit is doing in us. We, we daily set aside our desires and we pursue what God wants. And hear this, this is a process and not an event. This is a daily. This is moment by moment. And then this last part so that others may see him and know him. You see, the Holy Spirit transforms us to be more like Jesus, not just for ourselves, but for others as well, so that other people can come to know him and experience this amazing gift of grace and this abundant life that he promises. In Matthew 5, 16, Jesus says this, in the same way, let your light shine before others. This is not a light that comes from ourselves. This is the light of the, of the Holy Spirit in us as we're reflecting Jesus to others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. And I think that's what we see happening in this next section of this passage in verses 27 through 30, Acts 11 again. Now in these days, prophets came down from Jerusalem to Antioch. And one of them named Agabus... I don't, 
hear any kids named Agabus these days? Put, put that on your kid list. Stood up and foretold by the Spirit, this is the Holy Spirit speaking through Agabus, that there would be a great famine all over the world. This took place in the days of Claudius. So Luke notices, notes that this actually did happen. So the disciples, the followers of Jesus in Antioch, everyone according to his ability, so the disciples determined everyone according to his ability to send relief to the brothers living in Judea. And they did so, sending it to the elders by the hand of Barnabas and Saul. And so this guy named Agabus, he comes to Antioch, he says, hey, there's going to be this really bad famine that's going to take place. And, and even though famines are really bad now, they were devastating in the first century. I mean, thousands and thousands and thousands of people would die when there was a famine. And so what is this group of Jesus followers' response? I mean, do they, do they start hoarding stuff for themselves? Do they, they like, what, what do we need to do to prepare for this thing? Or, or do they get all, like, worried about this? No, what is their response? Their first response is the question, how can we help? What can we do help to help make the need? And this is the impact that Jesus has on us. He, he takes the focus off ourselves and he puts it on the needs of others. I love this quote that a pastor in D Washington, D.C., Ben Stewart, <clears throat> uses frequently in his messages. He says this, Jesus makes us different from the culture for the culture. Let me say that again. Jesus makes us different from the culture for the culture. We are different from the culture because we are living a life in full surrender to Jesus and his ways. And, and how are we different? It's not that we have, we wear shirts that, or we put a fish on the back of our, or we, you know, all of the different things that sometimes are identified with this different. Here's, here's how we're different. We, we put others' needs before ourselves. And that's not just like a stranger other, that's the people that you live with, folks. as well. <laughs> We're able to live a worry and fear-free life because we have put our trust in him knowing that he's in control and he's good. We genuinely love others, including our enemies. We sacrificially give of our time and resources to meet the needs of others. That's the difference that Jesus begins to produce in our lives. That's the difference that people take notice of. But we are also different for the culture. You see, true transformation of a culture, now let me, I hope you catch this this morning. True transformation of a culture takes place one life at a time. Let that sink in for a moment. True transformation of a culture takes place one life at a time. And for this to happen, we have to be engaged in our community. We have to engage especially with those people who do not yet know Jesus. It, it's really the heart behind what we're doing next Sunday. Like, why on earth would we, like, shut down Sunday services and, and leave the building and go serve on a Sunday morning? Like, why, why would we do that? It's so that we can be around 
hopefully praying for this, that we can be around people who do not yet know Jesus. That we're trusting that God is going before us and setting up what, what I like to call like these divine appointments with people who don't know yet Jesus. And that we're just going to show up and hopefully be able to reflect his love and his light with those that we'll be serving. That in some way that we will make the communities in which we're serving better. You know, different in some way. And we've been praying for everyone who will participate in this event. We've been praying for everyone who will be impacted by this. That we will be different from the culture for the culture. I don't know about you, but as I was putting this like message together, I, I was like, um, yeah, no way. <laughs> Sometimes life is really hard. And maybe you're sitting here this morning and you're like, man, I, I barely even made it here today. Or I, you don't know all of the stuff that's going in my life, that all of the things that are like swirling in my head as I walked in here this morning, I can't even like get my mind around what you're talking about. There's just, I struggle so hard with so many different things. And, and you're just thinking... There's no way I can do this. That's right. <laughs> That's the point. You, you and I can't do this on our own. It's why we've been given the Holy Spirit. He, he's the one who works in us and moves through us to become, to make us more like Jesus. And, and we can't do this on our own. We just can't. Now, our part in this is our part is to trust him daily our part is to trust him moment by moment and trust is not just like this mental exercise there's action with it our our part is to surrender to him daily like moment by moment that we continue to surrender our will and desire to what he wants to do in our life our our part in this is to listen to him daily and the way that he speaks to us is through his word and in times of prayer, mainly when we don't talk, we just listen, or he speaks to us also from other people. Like, I can't tell how many voices that speak into my life all the time that I know it's God speaking to me. Like, we need to listen to him daily, moment by moment. Our part then is to then follow him daily. It's to do what he says. He do, do what he tells us to do. Like, that's our part in this. And and we can do this because we know that he is good and we know that his way is perfect. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for Jesus and thank you for the difference that he makes in our lives, that he is the only one. He is the only reason that we have life and hope. Father, I pray that you, through your spirit, would just continue to work and move in us to shape us to be more like Jesus. And it's in his name we pray. Amen.